Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Before we get to that place where we corporately have the fire of God falling in our midst, individually we need to get there. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about you, not us, you and me and God's fire in our hearts. And I'm going to be talking about two extremes that we can verge into which will stop us getting the furniture and the fire. We either go too much to furniture or too much to fire, and actually there's this lovely marriage in the middle. You know, when you turn on an electronic machine, a radio, a whatever it is, there's current flowing through it, electricity, and there's a positive current and there's a negative. There's electrons flowing into the machine, and there's electrons flowing out of the machine. And if you just have the positive, the machine doesn't work. If you just have the negative, the machine doesn't work. If you don't have a machine, you just have a wire with electricity flowing through it. But when you put the machine and the positive and the negative, the machine works, and there's beautiful sound picture, whatever the machine was created to do. Friend, you are a machine, and you were designed to have God's power flowing into you, the fire, but there's also got to be the furniture of the machine, and there's got to be something flowing out of you, and then the circuit is in place. And we're going to be looking today at trying to get that balance, because I know for my own life, and for many Many Christians, this is a massive problem. We've never got the balance right. We verge too much to furniture, too much to fire. We don't get it right. And as a result, the machine is patchy, a bit like my car radio, since I went through the car wash with the aerial up and it snapped off. And when you go through parts of Jersey, it just comes in and out and in and out, and it doesn't work. And I think that's what our Christian life is sometimes like. And the reason is we haven't got the, the circuit flowing. We haven't got the two legs in place of furniture and fire. We haven't got God's part and our part. We veer too much to the one or the other. Stay with me. I might challenge you and some of your sacred cows today. But it's helpful. Right. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 16. And he brought the burnt offering... And offered it according to the prescribed manner. This is Aaron and the priests. They, there's a prescribed manner that God has said, do this. Put the furniture in place. On the altar, you wear these clothes. You do things like this. It has to be this kind of a lamb at this age. This, this, all these prescriptions about it. It says he did everything according to the prescribed manner. This was the first time Aaron and the priests were going to make a sacrifice to God. God had been telling them how, and now they're ready to do it. And verse 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. You know, there are many times in the Old Testament where fire comes from God. Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, fire falls down on the mountain. Moses and the burning bush, fire comes from God. Leviticus 9 and 10, fire comes from God. Uh, there are many places. We read about 2 Chronicles 7 when the temple was built and fire came from God. 
But do you know the last time fire falls from God in the Bible? Pentecost. And from that moment on, Pentecost is when after Jesus rose again and all the faithful disciples were waiting in the upper room, 120 of them, and they're praying, Lord, 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 send power, send fire. Fire comes, and Peter says, this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And the, the fire comes and lands on every single one of them, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, the fire is inside us instead of coming from outside. And it changes everything. And 2 Corinthians 3 says there was glory in that old covenant where the fire fell on the mountain and they wrote, God wrote the laws on tablets of stone. There was glory in that, but the glory in our covenant is so much greater, so much more permanent. It's not temporary, fading away. It's a greater glory because it's inside of us. God's written his laws on our hearts and our minds instead of on external tablets. Moses' face shone because of the fire coming from the outside shining on him. But we have a fire burning inside of us. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. We have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in our hearts in the face of Christ. We've got the fire inside. And so from Pentecost onwards, the fire is there, but it's greater, it's permanent, and it's within us instead of coming from without. But there are still lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament pictures of them putting furniture in place and fire. There is an application for you and I in the New Testament. And my challenge and my heart's desire today is that none of us miss having the fire of God in our hearts. The Bible talks about us being able to um, miss it Miss the grace of God. Take the grace of God in vain. It's like God has poured out this gift of his fire, but people can be in church, he says several times in the New Testament, and they think they've got the grace of God, but they've missed it because they haven't got this balance right. And so we're going to be looking at this. Let me just tell you a little bit about Samson before I go there. This is another time the fire fell. Judges chapter 13, I'm not going to read it, but just tell you, uh, Manoah is a man and his wife, we don't know her name, but they can't have children, and they're praying to God, and an angel appears and says, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be great, and he's going to lead Israel, and the, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be on him, and, and I'm, God says, I'm going to use him. And uh, the requirement is that you, Mrs. Manoah, you must have a Nazarite life. You must never drink alcohol or eat grapes. You must never go near a dead body. Um, there's various things. You must never cut your hair, and then God's fire will be upon you. And, and Manoah says, well, how do we know this is true? And the angel says, prepare a sacrifice and, and put fire on it. And as he's doing it, the, the angel becomes a fire and merges with the flame of the sacrifice and goes up to heaven. And God's fire is upon Manoah's wife. From that moment on, she conceives and Samson is born and he lives and he grows up and he never cuts his hair. He never goes near dead bodies. He never drinks wine. And because he's got the furniture in place, it says again and again in Judges, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson whenever he needed it. 
And then he, he remember, let his hair be cut. He, he got tricked, and he, and he let his hair be cut. And the Spirit of the Lord no longer came upon him. But it says in Judges 16, but his hair started to grow. And as the furniture got put back in place in his life, he's at his last point. He's had his eyes taken out by the enemy, and he's standing in a huge gathering, 3,000 Philistines there. And he's got his hands on the pillars of this big building, and he says, Lord, let your spirit come on me one more time. And he pushes the pillars, and the building falls down, and there's a great victory for God. In the Old Testament, the fire came upon them. The Spirit of God came mightily upon Samson. The fire came from heaven or from God's presence onto the sacrifice, and, um, and, and the victories were, were physical first, as a picture, as a, as a type, as a shadow, the Bible says, of what's going to come in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the fire is spiritual. It's within us. It still changes the physical world, but it comes from within people first, and it works itself out, and it changes the world. So I want to just talk briefly now about, first of all, what it is in the New Testament for us, and then the two extremes, that we, the two ditches we can fall into. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Or the NIV says, um, in view of God's mercy. I appeal to you therefore. When he says therefore, what he's saying is, because of what I've said previously, because I've showed you in Romans chapters 1 to 11, God's mercy, how Jesus is the sacrifice. You used to put a lamb on the altar and God's fire would burn it. Now Jesus was the perfect lamb. He paid for your sins so that you don't have to pay and that you can't use a lamb anymore. Jesus has paid for your sins. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, because I've described that, in view of the mercy, the kindness of God, you can't earn it, it's God's mercy. Because you're looking at this mercy, in view of the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just as you used to put a lamb or a bull on the altar and God's fire would consume it, now you put your body on the altar of service to God. You say, God, I'm yours. My body is yours. Use me for your glory. But it's a living sacrifice. You don't die you die, but you live, and you're holy and acceptable to God. You say, how can I be holy and acceptable to God? The act of sacrifice of giving your life to the Lord, in view of the mercy of what Jesus has done for you, makes you holy and acceptable to God. And then he goes on to say, this is your spiritual worship. In other words, it's a spiritual thing now. It's not a physical fire. It's a spiritual fire. And it's a living sacrifice. That fire just keeps on burning within you as you put yourself on the altar. You say, Lord, here I am. You didn't know this happened when you became a Christian. But I want to tell you, when you became a believer, you put yourself on God's altar. You said, God, I'm yours. I, I'm in view of your mercy, Lord. I see what you've done for me, Lord Jesus. All I can do in response is say, here I am, Lord. Take me, every part of my life, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes, my habits, my desires, my hopes and dreams, my past, my future. Here I am, Lord. I'm a living sacrifice, and the fire of God burst into flame in your heart. But 
it's got to work itself out. And that's why he goes on in the next verse to say, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He says there's a process now. The fire's in you. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, Jesus dying on the cross and then you saying, yes, Lord, here I am on the altar. He makes you perfect forever, but then he says, but you're being made holy. It's a process once you've been made perfect. So now I want to talk about the two ditches. The first ditch is some people think it's all about the furniture. Greg, what are you talking about? Furniture is that beautiful thing that humans create. We use our skill, our effort, and our strength, and our creativity, and our personal style, and we make something beautiful that others will appreciate, and that will bring comfort and rest to people. And that speaks of us working to make a place for God to pour out His fire. But the problem is, some people think, I can just live in the furniture realm. And there are thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of people in the world who think if I am good enough, I will get to heaven. You say, no, there aren't. Yes, there are. There are millions of people who say, I'm not such a bad person. If you meet anyone on the street and you say, do you think when you get to the judgment day and God says, why should I let you in? Do you think God will let you in? And if so, why? Most, 9.9 out of 10 people will say, because I'm a good person. What they're saying is, I don't need fire. My furniture is enough. And before we get all proud and think we're better than those who say that, even in church, we think that. We think, I'm good enough. Surely I'm good enough. I'm not Hitler. I'm not a mass murderer. I'm not an awful, evil person. So therefore, surely my furniture's enough. And it's a human thing that we keep falling back, slotting back into this idea, I'm good enough. I've done this good. I've been to church this many times. I've helped this many people. I've, I've done the stuff. I, my furniture is enough. And Romans chapter 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's not all bad news. He says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So if a person is in the furniture-only camp, the answer is grace. If a person thinks I'm good enough, if a person is relying on their own abilities, goodness, religiousness, strength, cleverness, family background, oh, well, I'm born in a Christian family, I got christened as a baby, I've gone to church, all of that is furniture. If you're relying on anything you've done, the answer is grace. Galatians 2.21 
says, I do not set aside the grace of God, because if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Jesus died for nothing. You know, I, I need to challenge you. I need to press this home. Have you ever had this thought? Jesus isn't the only way, because look at all the good people who don't believe in Jesus. They're good. They give. They're kind. They're merciful. They help. They're more righteous than many Christians. They may worship another God, or they may not even worship God, but they're good. Surely they're going to heaven. If you think that, you're in the furniture camp. And God says, please hear me now, heaven is so supernatural, so valuable, so wonderful, it doesn't matter how good you are, no human can be good enough to get there. It's just not possible. So please, 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 we need to just get rid completely of this wrong idea that furniture alone is enough. And even if you've been a Christian and you've received the fire, you can slip back into the furniture. And I need to challenge you, please don't ever think that your goodness can earn anything from God. Furniture alone is a massive problem. But there's another problem. The other side of the coin is people who think it's fire alone. So how the furniture alone people say, oh, surely we can be good enough. God says, you can't be good enough, but I've given you the fire to receive salvation. The other people, the fire-only people say, it's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about anything that I can do. And therefore, so there's several variations of these people. Number one, there's the group who say, everyone is going to get to heaven. Everyone is going to get to heaven. They're called universalists. And they say, well, God is going to save everyone because it's all fire. It's all God. It's got nothing to do with me. God's going to do it. He's going to save everyone. And again and again in the Bible, Jesus said, Matthew 25, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and some will not get to heaven. In Matthew 7, he says, some will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy and do miracles in your name? He says, I never knew you. There's other people who say, it's all fire, therefore, yes, I have to receive Jesus, but even then, he chooses who he's going to save, and he's going to save them whether they want to or not, and he chooses others who he's decided are going to go to hell, and they're going to go to hell no matter what, and he's controlling everything, and he's pulling all the strings, and it's just, it gets to crazy extremes, and yet there are huge groups in the Christian family around the world who say amazing things like limited atonement. Jesus only died for some people. And yet the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Irresistible grace. If God wants you to get saved, you'll get saved no matter what. And yet, again and again, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. And the way it plays out for most of us, most of us are not at the extreme, but for most of us, we just become apathetic. We become fatalistic. Where we say, well, if God's going to make it happen, he's going to make it happen. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I can't influence it, so why pray? Why try? 
Why be good? Why respond? Why obey? I'm just floating along, and we become apathetic Christians. And he warns us in the Bible. He says, don't be unfruitful. He says, don't take the grace of God in vain. Hebrews 4, he warns us. He says, be careful, because they missed the gospel. The, the Old Testament Israelites heard the gospel, but they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't act on it, and so they were lost. Be careful. 1 Corinthians 10. He says, be careful. This can happen to you. And there's a large part of the body of Christ who've got too much into the fire. They think it's all just God. But I want to tell you, there's a beautiful mixture of the two. Okay, I'm going to close with two verses here. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Paul says, We then, as fellow workers or workers together with him, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul says, I am God's fellow worker. That's the word synergeo, where we get our word synergism from. Synergy. Synergy means two things working together, and there's a powerful result. And there are theological terms where some people say it's about monogism. It's all God and human effort and human response and human will is not involved at all. That's monogism. And then there's this other side that says, no, it's all about human efforts and, and willpower and that's furniture people and that's wrong as well. But there's an in-between group of people who say it's synergism. Yes, God works. Yes, God calls. Yes, God gives me the power, but he gives it to everyone. And then I respond, and we are fellow workers together with God. I just want to answer a little objection here. Somebody will say, John 6, 44. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Surely that's saying that God chooses only some and he draws them and that others don't come to him because they haven't been drawn. Surely that's saying that God is just saving some people and not others. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So if, if someone's a Christian, it's because God, it's all fire. There's no human result. But just a few chapters later, Jesus said, John 12, 32. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. But Jesus said, I'm drawing all men. And whosoever will. Again and again in the Bible, it says, whosoever will. Whoever believes in him. God wants all men to be saved. He doesn't want any to perish. We can get into this weird thing where we think it's all fire or it's all furniture, but when we get the two working together, Paul says, I urge you as workers together with God, but he's not saying I'm the equal of God. No. He goes on to explain. He explains what he means by don't take the grace of God in vain. He describes the, the term. And this is what I'm going to leave with you today. You are a machine. God wants his power to come in for you to work and to be the furniture ready to receive his power and for 
output to go out, and then it's working. But you can't boast in that. You can't say, hey, I'm great because, look, I'm a machine that's working. No, no. He gave you the power to be the machine. He put the, the power in and the power going out. It's all him, but there is a response needed. And that response is not something you can boast in. You know, I've had some amazing gifts given to me in my life. I had a man give me shares in a company, not me, but the ministry I was working for, worth millions of dollars. And all I had to do was sign on the dotted line. Could I boast that I got those shares? Somebody says, oh, you, you're saying you had a part to play, therefore you can boast. I can't boast. He was the one who gave me the millions of shares. All I did was sign. I can't boast that I signed because there was no effort or, or skill or cleverness. I just said thank you. If someone gives you a Ferrari and they give you the keys and all you have to do is take them in your hand, put the key in and start the engine, can you boast? No, but you had to do something to receive it. If someone says, we're giving free houses away in the parish of St. Martin, all you have to do is be here on this day, we'll give you a house, and you arrive on the day and you receive it, you'd be crazy to boast and think, hey, I deserve this. It was a gift. Heaven is a gift, but there is a receiving it that we have to do, and that's the furniture, and it's simply saying, God, I'm a living sacrifice. Thank you, God. And when you get in this sweet spot in the middle where you're not weirdly thinking it's all God and you're apathetic, and you're not weirdly thinking it's all you and you're working legalistically, but when you're in the sweet spot of gratitude and thanking God, but still being responsive, but it's all Him and the machine is working and the electricity is flowing, then powerful things happen. Samson happens in a New Testament way. And I said to you, I would explain what Paul meant about don't take the grace of God in vain. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Look, I'm a machine. I'm a little turbine-electricity-powered machine, but it's all God. He made me. I, I, I can't take any credit. I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than all of them. The way you take his grace in vain is you don't put in your part. You don't work like the machine was designed to work. There's so many verses I could quote you. The famous one is Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, it's all fire. The very next verse, verse 10, says we are God's workmanship created to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There's your part. You get into one camp or the other, you're not an effective Christian. You get in the middle, and it is all him, but there's a powerful working coming out of you. Let me read on 1 Corinthians 15. 
But that grace was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than all of them. Paul was the hardest worker of all, not because he was furniture-based, not because he thought he was earning it. He was grateful. <laughs> look, look what God has done. But then just in case you thought he was being proud that it was him working, he says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Can you see that interplay? I'm laboring with all of my strength, but it's not me. I'm just a machine letting the power flow through me. But there is a place for me to say, God, I'm willing. God, I'm responsive. God, I'm obedient. God, I'm humble. And when you get in that sweet spot, sparks fly. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.